Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. My family had the joy of traveling to Virginia and the East Coast last week. We got to visit with the Vincents, and so Pastor Josh and the Vincents uh, say a hearty hello to you all. Uh, Our family doesn't get out a whole lot, and so it was the first time that our kids had been able to be on such a long flight before. And on the way over there, uh, the, the back of the seats in front of us had screens on them, and so everybody was able to watch whatever they wanted. You could watch whatever live TV or movie or music. Everybody got their own headphones, and the flight goes a lot faster if you've got some entertainment to distract you. But when we were flying back, we had to do a a layover in Detroit, and that was a smaller plane on that flight, and so there were no TV screens. There was no free Wi-Fi, and it is amazing how quickly you can get used to and to expect certain creature comforts. So we walked onto this smaller plane, and we sat down, and like, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) Traveling is notoriously tedious. It's difficult. It can be long. It can be tiresome. But our modern comforts make it so much easier than it really has ever been before. For part of our trip, we got to see some of the historical sites of the founding of the country in Philadelphia. And then we drove up into New York. And I cannot imagine what that journey must have been like for those folks who were uh, just early on in the days of America in the colonies. It only took us two hours to make that trip down the Jersey Turnpike with the AC cranked listening to whatever song we wanted to listen to, whatever came to mind, drinking a Gatorade. It probably would have taken Jefferson and Madison a little bit longer to have made that trip, as much as four days perhaps. Much less comfortable back then, much more dangerous, much more tedious. There was definitely less distractions for sure. Uh, I would imagine they probably had to sing songs to themselves to fill the time and to keep their spirits up. I can imagine that they went through 99 bottles of beer on the wall quite a few times between (laughs) Philly and New York. There's a whole genre of music that comes from traveling. Uh, Sailing songs is a popular category of music. There are folk songs that just come from writing songs that help you pass the time as you're traveling. During the time of the Old Testament, the Israelites had a collection of songs that they too would sing during some of their times of traveling. The city of Jerusalem sits up high on a hill, and so they have a collection of songs that they would have sung together as they were ascending that hill towards the holy city of Jerusalem. Three times a year, they would go up there to gather for their annual festivals, to worship together, and they would sing songs that we know as songs of ascent as they're ascending up into Jerusalem. And these songs of ascent begin right after Psalm 119. They're Psalm 120 through 134. There's about 15 of them. They're known as, as songs of ascent, but also pilgrim songs, songs for journeying, 
There's something comforting about intentionally setting your mind on your destination while you're traveling. It helps you to focus. It helps you to keep the end in mind. I can make it through this traveling knowing that I'm going to get to that destination. Well, we are rejoining the psalmist in Psalm 119 this morning as he is creatively designing this expression of poetic meditation that helps him to rightly value God's written word. And once again, the psalmist is surrounded and harassed by arrogant enemies who are ridiculing him for his submission to God's instruction. And so the psalmist's prescription in this section revolves around the concept of remembering. It's a repeated theme throughout this section of the psalm. Our big idea this morning from this seventh set of eight verses in Psalm 119 is this. Zeal for remembering God's instruction brings comfort and security. Zeal for remembering God's instruction brings comfort and security. And we're just going to break it down as we have been doing sort of along the way into two sections of four verses. Hopefully we'll notice first, remembering God's faithfulness brings comfort in affliction, 49 through 52. And second, consistent obedience to God is a secure blessing from 53 to 56. Let's pray as we start. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, We're grateful that we are able to gather even this morning. I am encouraged by being able to gather with these fellow pilgrims, uh, fellow saints, who are journeying together toward the celestial city and are using music to stir up our hearts, minds, uh, affections, wills, in order to maintain the trajectory that you have called us to of faithfulness to your word. Father, we just pray that you would use this time now uh, by your spirit, through your word, to help us to, to maintain fidelity to the good path to which you've called us. We love you. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, Remembering God's faithfulness brings comfort in affliction. 49 through 52, I'll just read those four verses back into our hearing again. 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old... I take comfort, O Lord. So as we've talked about throughout, Psalm 119 is an acrostic, which just means that each line in each of these sections starts with the same letter in Hebrew. In this section of the psalm, every line begins with a letter, the Hebrew letter called Zion. It's kind of like our letter Z. And one Hebrew word that starts with that letter translates into English as remember, zakar. So that's why remembering is one of the recurring themes here in this section of lines that start with that letter. God's law is one of the main themes here also in this section. It comes up three times, remembering, God's law, comfort, some of the repeating themes here. So the psalmist begins by calling on God to remember his word to the psalmist. Did you notice that in the first verse? Remember your word to your servant. He's calling on God to remember God's word expressed to him brought him hope. 
What does it mean to ask God to remember? God has not forgotten anything any more than he has learned anything. We know that God is omniscient. The psalmist is fully aware that God knows all things. That's what omniscient means. He has all knowledge. So what does it mean to ask God to remember something? It's a humble request for God to act on his promises. It's a concept that comes up a number of times in the Bible. We can think back to the Exodus when those Hebrew slaves are crying out in the beginning of Exodus. This is how it's put in Exodus 2. God hears their cry. Exodus 2, verses 24 through 25 say this. And God heard their groaning of the Hebrews, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so it's not as if God had forgotten. He knew there was not information that he lacked. It didn't slip his mind. But when we're speaking of God remembering, it's, it's aligned with God coming to action in line with his promises. We see it, too, in Isaiah 49. It's not as if God has forgotten, but this, the, the prophet Isaiah is also dealing with this same concept because let's just be honest, sometimes it feels like God has forgotten us. We can be honest here. The prophet Isaiah deals with the same thing as he's bringing God's word as a prophet on behalf of God. He is bringing God's word to these people who at this point in this passage that we're going to read in a second, they would have been exiled from their land, been kicked out and thinking maybe God forgot about us. Maybe God forgot his promises. But Isaiah 49 verses 14 through 16 say this, but Zion that is the city and people of God, said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And then comes this response on behalf of God from the prophet. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Well, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And so here is God's word promising that he has not forgotten his promises, that he has not forgotten his people. In fact, his people are tattooed on his hands, as it were. He's written them down. They are not going to be forgotten. So what's the psalmist requesting of God when he asks him to remember? Well, we see this phrase, whenever God is remembering, God is being stirred to action. God is being stirred to action to action. Whenever we see this phrase of God remembering, it's followed by God acting. After he remembers God's people uh, in, in Exodus, he raises up Moses to guide them up, to take them out. When God remembered Noah, when he's on the ark, well, right after that, he dries the land so that Noah and the animals and his family can get out of the ark. So the request is not for God to search his memory. The request is for God to act according to the promises that he has made. So you probably know this, like if somebody has told you they have agreed to you verbally to take out the trash and it looks like they've forgotten, you can spur them to action by saying, hey, remember what you said. God's words of comfort are what give him life during his times of affliction and trouble. And that affliction here in this particular context seems to be direct, direct, directly related to the wicked those wicked who have forsaken God's law, as we see in verse 51. 
Those are the ones who are scoffing at him, who are mocking him. But we could include any kind of affliction here, any kind of affliction or suffering on this journey, any sort of relational or physical or spiritual or financial or emotional affliction. There is no trial that God will not be able to finally and fully redeem, whether in this life or in the life to come. That can be so hard to believe. The pressure to live in the moment causes us to question. And we might, we might wonder, is it worth the cost to follow Jesus? Am I on the right path? Am I supposed to be following God's instruction and path? Because it seems like it's actually causing more problems for me than it's solving. If I just give in to the voices that are around me that are coming against me, well, it seems like I think some of the stress can disappear. So if I'm seeking comfort in that, maybe that's the way to go. If I simply cave into the moral and ethical ways of those who have forsaken God's commandments and law, well, then it looks like my life would be easier. That's the temptation that the psalmist faces. It's the temptation that we face. Verse 52 has the psalmist now remembering. He's called on God to remember, and now he himself is remembering. We have it translated in our ESV as thinking. It's uh, remembering God's rules from of old. Now, the word behind rules here is translated elsewhere, even within the same psalm, as judgments. And so it might be that the psalmist is thinking back to God's judgment against God's enemies in the past, and taking some degree of comfort and knowing that justice will come because it has come in the past. If you think of him triumphing over Egypt, for example, or it might be that the psalmist is remembering God's instructions, his, his rules, his judgments in that sense, that he has given to Israel a long time ago, from of old, from the distant past, these old words. And that's one of the reasons that we read together uh, during our services, creeds and confessions, Uh, because we want to remember that we stand in line with a long tradition and history of God's people holding tightly to the truths that are represented in God's Word. We don't want to be beholden to our current time. We want to remember that our doctrine, our lives, are firmly anchored in God's Word, in line with the saints who have come before us. There's something that is tempting about... um, just neglecting things that are old. Uh, we like things that are new. Anything that is old kind of gets boring. Like we like novelty. We want things that are new and fresh. Old ways get tedious, they get tiresome. Like, yeah, I already know that. Let's give me something new. But here from God's word is a welcome reminder to value things that are from of old. God's word is regularly mocked in our day as some ancient book. I'm sure you've heard that. We often think of ourselves as having progressed so much further than those unenlightened people who wrote God's word back then. How could we possibly trust something that is so old, it's so outdated, they didn't have electricity? Well, maybe you've heard this maxim before, whatever's true isn't new, and whatever's new isn't true. We can attribute any decline in our own lives personally or in society at large with the rejection of biblical truth from of old. 
there is a, a movement within Christianity that is seeking to progress beyond God's Word. They want to look at a trajectory that God's Word is setting here and say, well, if, if Jesus was alive now, this is what he would teach. As friends, a very dangerous place to be. The Holy Spirit, who is now speaking to us through his word, is not saying anything contradictory to what he has already said to us from of old. We can have great confidence and security in leaning into God's word from of old. Now, I understand why we want to make progression. Like Progress in and of itself isn't a horrible concept. We all want to be making progression in our journey of life. This simply means we want to be closer to our desired destination. But if we don't follow the map, that has been given to us. If we maybe take a wrong turn because we've gotten out ahead of our guide, who is the Holy Spirit, well, then going forward in that direction isn't actually progress. The only progress to be had then would be to repent, to legitimately and literally turn back and walk until you get back to that fork in the road and follow in obedience to God and his word once again. And the sooner we do it, well, the quicker we're able to make progress toward that desired destination. Yeah, patience is not easy. It has never been easy. It wasn't easy then. It's not easy now. We've sort of trained ourselves out of the virtue of patience. We have nearly no undistracted moments in our lives. Even during our travels, we've got endless ways to distract ourselves from the journey. We can't handle silence or stillness for very long. It's discomforting. And we can bring that unsettled spirit into our expectations for the Christian walk. And we might treat following Christ as if we were tourists. I mean, maybe if I've got some free time, I might take up my cross and follow Jesus and take a selfie. But if it starts to get boring, if it starts to get hard, if it starts to get uncomfortable, if the heat cranks a little bit, maybe I need to dip out and see if there's something more interesting. Maybe there's somewhere with an air conditioning I can go visit somewhere else. But friends, the call to the path of obedience to God requires patience, and it is a virtue, and it is something that needs to be trained in us. It does not come naturally. It is difficult. The call to the path of obedience is, in one sense, a very long journey from our perspective, and we would do well to remember that following Christ is a continual commitment that spans a lifetime. The the, the call to follow Christ is not a one-time decision. It is a continual decision to keep on the right path during affliction, even when it's difficult, even when it's boring, even when it's hard. In Acts 1, we read that Judas turned aside from following Jesus to go to his own place. That's literally what it says. Judas turned aside from following Jesus to go to his own place. He became a guide to those who had arrested Jesus. And if you recall the end of Judas's story, it was tragic. It ends with devastation and destruction. So the invitation stands to us all this morning, whether we're just beginning the journey of following Jesus with our lives or whether we've been doing it for years, here's the call. Take comfort in God's rules from of old. He promises that he will restore, he will give us life. His words make us hope, and they keep the mocking derision of those ungodly who would have us to turn aside from following Jesus to go our own way, dissipate. 
God is faithful to his promises. You know, as you read through this psalm, uh, we're seven weeks in now, meditating in Psalm 119, and you might be thinking, I get it. Value God's word. (laughs) But do we get it is the question. Uh, The reason that the psalmist needed to write this, and we're not even a third of the way into it, is because this is something that we need to actively do. This is not something that comes naturally to us. We need to be reminded and to discipline ourselves to rightly value his word. God is faithful to his promises, and that means for those who, who give up their rebellion against God and his, his righteous judgments, his rules, if they obey the gospel, which is to say that they trust in Christ's finished work alone for their salvation, if they follow him, though the road is hard, the destination is worth it. Jesus is now where we all hope to be, at the right hand of God the Father. So for a, a, a true follower of Christ, enduring affliction patiently is the, the essence of obedience. And that obedience is what is the blessing. Notice secondly, from verses 53 to 56, consistent obedience to God is a secure blessing. Verse 53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Precepts. Uh, the word behind hot indignation here is unusual. This particular word is not used very often in the Bible. It's like a hot scorching wind, which I think some of us have some familiarity with uh, this morning, currently 104. It's as if the psalmist here is using poetic language to describe getting hot under the collar. He's, he's anxious. There's a horror that is settling in under those who would forsake God's law. Uh, the psalmist knows that God has graciously revealed the path of life, and yet so many have chosen to reject that path and have chosen to go their own way. The psalmist's distress might be caused by the judgment that will come to those who are walking on that path knowing, watching that that path leads to destruction could cause great fear and horror in the psalmist. Or perhaps it's just offense on God's behalf, knowing that these people have rejected the creator. The creator has given this instruction and yet they have in an act of audacious cosmic rebellion rejected it and said, well, I think I know better. But we see a quick contrast. The psalmist turns from the horror for those who have gone their own way towards meditating for himself once again on God's statutes or his instruction, verse 54. Verse 54 says, God's statutes have been his song in the house of his sojourning. So friends, if we understand ourselves to be pilgrims uh, on this journey of life, knowing that this, this life is heading somewhere, that this world is not our home, they have, we have not yet reached our destination, that we're sojourning through this world, it seems only appropriate to sing some songs along the way. We know that music is powerful. Uh, whatever we focus on through music becomes more dear to us. That's just the power of music. So it's a way to set our minds to focus on something. This is why we're told in Colossians 3.16 
to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And this is why we, we put such a, an emphasis on carefully selecting the songs that we sing. We want the songs that we sing to be filled with biblical truths on Sunday mornings because we believe that the word of God is meant to echo throughout the church. And so as we're traveling together towards our heavenly home, we do well to let God's statutes be our songs. And so if you're a guest or if you're new here, maybe you've just been coming for a few weeks and you're like, I don't understand why they're not singing the other songs that the other churches that I have visited are singing. I promise it's not because we're trying to be cool. We're not trying to be indie. We're not trying to be hip. We are primarily picking songs that help us to respond to God using biblical concepts and words in spite of how popular they are this year. We are primarily picking songs that help us to respond to God using the biblical words and concepts that he has given to us. And so we're, we're seeking to return his own words back to him in worship, in prayer, which helps us to remember together and set our hopes where they ought to be set, which is God's statutes his instruction, his law, his teaching. Verse 55 says, I remember your name in the night. Uh, Night is often a poetic way of speaking of a time of discomfort, discouragement in the soul, perhaps, a time of dread or anxiety. Or we could just think of the night as that time when we get to spend our time doing what we want to do. The workday is done, and now we get the night, and so we, we do in the evening what we most desire to do, what we, what we take pleasure in. That's how we relax. So whether we think of the night here as, as a time of distress for the psalmist or if it's a time of relaxation for the psalmist, the point here is the same. The psalmist intends to have integrity during the day or during the night, whether he's being seen in public at work, whether he's in his own home at night in his own bedroom, whether he's sitting in his house, whether he's walking by the way, when he lies down, when he rises, God's words are on his heart. And God's words have become his companion on his travels through life, through the power of music. This is how Paul could be afflicted at every turn and yet still be filled with comfort and overflowing with joy in the face of that affliction. That is a wonder that the world cannot explain. Indeed, it is a wonder that the world will deride and mock. It's not about the absence of suffering. Don't be confused about the call to Christian discipleship. It is not about the absence of suffering. It's about the presence of hope and joy, which is stronger than any suffering that we might experience in this life. And that hope, that joy, that security, that peace, that life are found in returning regularly to God's comforting words. Verse 56 brings up that concept of blessing again, just as he did in verse 1 of Psalm 119. We slow down and we read carefully. We see that the blessing is the keeping of God's precepts. Uh, Precepts is just one of those other words that he uses about God's instructions, his, his, his teaching, precepts. So the psalmist has made obedience to God's precepts, his practice, and that obedience is in itself the blessing. Do you notice that? 
we have a contrasting vision in Romans 1. Maybe you remember in Romans 1, God hands people over to their sin as an act of judgment for their sin. So it is as if sin is the punishment for sin. And here we have that contrasted in a positive sense. The blessing of obedience is godliness, which is the blessing itself. Godliness is what we are given over to by God as we pursue that godliness. The obedience is the blessing. And it outweighs any promise that we might expect in following sin. So friends, when you and I are harassed by enemies who want us to leave the path of obedience and of blessing, here is the psalmist's prescription. Take comfort, take confidence as you walk on towards that better destination. Difficult as life can be during affliction, returning to God's word to remember his past faithfulness, his promised restoration and justice can bring comfort, can bring hope for tomorrow. And it can help you keep your eyes on the hills as we approach our city of our God. Remembering God's faithfulness brings comfort in affliction. Consistent obedience to God is itself a secure blessing. And zeal for remembering God's instruction brings comfort and joy. Thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.